Amen. As Steve said, we're coming from Alaska. Let me make sure I got my mic on. I think I mentioned this in Sunday school. If it's a casual event, you show up with your Carhartts on. Amen? If it's formal, you show up with your good Carhartts on. So the idea of wearing a suit and a tie tonight, man, my kids are running around the house before we left. Daddy's got a tie on. Daddy has a tie on. (laughs) Boy, when you get used to that 20 degrees, I remember watching my kids out in the yard, 10 feet of snow, 30 degrees, and they're running around with T-shirts on. Boy. Well... Thank you for having me tonight. It's, it's, a, it's a real blessing to be here. I'm excited. Um, a few things I wanted to say before I get into the message. Um, you know, I, I started at this church, which one was it, Mom? 2004? 28 years ago. And that's when Pastor Jenkins was here. And, but he was just an icon here for the longest time, wasn't he? And, you know, I got to thinking, he's retiring. What's going to happen to the church? Well, I just want to tell you, y'all better thank God for Bill. Because he's a good guy. You are blessed to have him. Amen? Amen. Golly. I, I, I sat here over the last couple months and listened to his preaching. Boy, I could get used to that. You don't realize what a blessing that is. Now, when I lived in Alaska... Our, our pastor, we literally, my wife and I and three daughters moved out there, and it was like two months after we moved there, our pastor died. And, you know, my first thought was, well, who's the next one going to be? <laughs> and God said, you. <laughs> Whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of work. Pastoring a church is a lot of work. So you thank God for Pastor Bill. Um, and pray for him as he's, when he's gone. All right, well, before we begin, I want to make sure we're on the same page here, okay? This is the Bible. This contains the actual words of God. Does that give you chills? He wrote words, and he put them in a book so that you can read them. You know what this is? This is a history book about the future. Wrap your mind around that one. It's a religious book that condemns religion. It's a self-help book that's very clear that you can do nothing on your own. Amen? It's a diet book. It's an it's a inspirational book. But the one thing above everything else, it's a love story. Isn't it a love story? It's the greatest love story ever written. It's quite simply a book about good versus evil. If you can't see the battle going on in this book, from Genesis to Revelation, between good and evil, you're not reading the same book I am. Because that's all I see. Tonight, why don't you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 9. 
John chapter 9 is probably one of the most unique chapters in all the Bible. And you'll, and you'll understand that when I get to the end. But there's something different about John chapter 9. And you know, I, I read it many times before. But it wasn't until I was preaching through the book of John in Alaska that this really hit me. And once it does, you, you can't unsee it. And maybe you've seen it already. Maybe you've already figured out what it took me 20 years to figure out. But if you haven't, we'll have it figured out by the end. Now, I know there's passages in this book that can be difficult to understand. Um, some books in the Bible, I have a hard time reading. Who's with me? Who rushes home after work to jump into Chronicles 9? Anybody? After the third begat, I'm out. Right? And I think God knows that. But if you read through it, you'll get a blessing. You'll still get a blessing from reading his word. You know what we do? We read the Bible every night. And we're usually in the New Testament, but when we read through the Old Testament as a family, we would get to all the begats. <laughs> and you know an eight-year-old trying to pronounce Hezekiah in celestial. It's pretty funny. So we'd get to the point where we'd say S begat R begat D begat L. And it was just like, okay, let's just get through it, guys. But there's a blessing in reading God's Word. There's a blessing there for you. To understand John chapter 9, you've got to read it more than once. That's true of any Bible scripture. There's very few passages in this book where you can read the first time and say, I know what that's talking about. You know, that's why people don't read it much. I was always reminded, when I was in medical school, there was a, a friend of mine in, in, in medical school, and he was a Christian as well. And he saw me with my, with my King Jim, right? Old, old, old faithful. And he said, I don't know how you read that book. All those these and thous and all those long words I don't understand. And I, and I got to thinking about it. And I said, you know what? Shane, you're right. It's too hard to read. In fact, you know what? So is my biochemistry book, come to think of it. And I said, I'm going to go down to the bookstore at the medical school and say, hey, this biochemistry book, man, it's outdated. It's got a whole lot of long words in it. Do you have a better book that's a little easier to understand? Yeah, they'd have shown me the door, right? If you get hung up on thee and thou and words that you don't understand, your heart's not in the right spot. Amen. If you hit a word you don't understand, look it up. Everybody, do you know, do you have a cell phone in your pocket right now? Did you know that you have more computing power in your pocket than Apollo 13 had on that entire spaceship? Did you know that? Look it up. There's some pretty cool words in the King James Bible that if you look them up, they're pretty neat. They mean a whole lot more than you think. Well, to understand chapter 9, you've got to read it, you've got to read it, and you've got to read it. And once you have the story memorized, then you've got to zoom out, step back away from it, climb up to about 30,000 feet and look down at chapter 9. And see the whole picture. Get a bird's eye view of it. And then you'll realize that that whole chapter is an allegory. Did you know that? 
Let's look. John chapter 9. Before we go, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for the rain. Lord, we know that the rain is is as necessary um, as the sunshine. Lord, we think of in terms of our own life. We know that there's dark days in our own lives that are just as necessary as the bright ones. We know your word says that it's better to go to the house of mourning. And Lord, sometimes we don't understand that, but we thank you for it anyway. Lord, I just ask that you would be with me tonight as I preach. Lord, I pray that you would keep me from saying anything that you would not have me to say. Lord, use me tonight to get across a message as I try to expound on uh, John chapter 9. And, and Lord, just bless us as we, as we study your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John chapter 9. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. As Jesus passed by. Now, if you're like me, and you're reading the Bible, and you see something like, and Jesus passed by. My mind's like, where was he just at? Right? Do you ask yourself those questions? Like the word therefore. What's the therefore therefore? I don't know. Go back a chapter. Maybe you'll figure it out. Well, if we go back a chapter, we see that Jesus was in the temple. And he was doing what he loved to do. And that was irritating Pharisees. (laughs) Right? Isn't that what Jesus lived for? Well, that's what he was doing. And he was making a lot of enemies in the temple that day. In fact, it was getting so bad, they all reached down and picked up rocks and were getting ready to throw them at him. He was about to get stoned. And Jesus said, sorry, boys, not my time. And just walked right out. Walked through the midst of them. Now, I was in the Marine Corps, and I went to a few camouflage schools, but I never got that good. He just walked right out through the midst of the people wanting to kill him. And his, his apostles were close on his heels. You know, to have the presence of mind to be getting ready to get stoned and still see a blind man sitting there. You know, if it had been me, I'd have been on the way out of that temple. I'd have been looking for a weapon, right? That's, what, that's, what, that's the Marine in me, right? You ever, you ever heard a bunch of different people speak? Like we had Brother Marion this morning. What a blessing. Gosh, if I'm, when I'm 83, I hope I can still get up here and preach. But everybody brings to the pulpit a little bit of their past, don't they? Um, when I preach, and you can tell that I was a Marine. It's hard to get that off. That stuff doesn't wash off. Amen? That's what they say. You can tell a Marine anywhere. You just can't tell them much. <laughs> Ain't that true? Well, you know, as I'm, I'm reading this Bible, and I, and I see Jesus coming out, I wouldn't have been paying attention to the faces and the, and the people laying out there. But he had the presence of mind to see a blind man. And so he stops. And I think all of his apostles probably just banged into him because they didn't expect him to stop. They're like, Lord, look, you're about to get stoned. Let's get out of here. No, it's not my time. It's not my time. Now, here's something that's interesting. Look at verse 2. 
remember where we were at, right? Jesus is fleeing from being stoned. And all of a sudden, his disciples asked him, saying, in verse 2, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Where did that come from? How did the apostles know to ask that? It was, the, it was the common belief back then. That if you had some kind of disfigurement, if you were born blind or deaf, or you had leprosy, or any other disease, if you had anything bad happen to you, well, it's because you're a bad person. Even the apostles thought that, right? You know, we give the apostles a hard time sometimes. You know, like Peter denying Jesus. But you know, if you were right there with him, you'd have been the same old moron that they were. They didn't get it. You wouldn't have gotten it either. It's nice to be 2,000 years removed reading it and knowing how it all played out to sound really good about yourself, doesn't it? Yeah, that's not what I would have done. Sure it is. You'd have done the same exact thing. But they ask him, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents? The apostles thought the same way the Pharisees did. Did you notice that? You ever notice that when you read through the scriptures? The apostles thought very much like the Pharisees. And why wouldn't they? The Pharisees in that day, they were the teachers, they were the preachers, they were the police, they were the judge, they were the jury, they were the executioner. The people feared the Pharisees. I mean, they were like the Gestapo or our FBI. I mean, I don't know. It's getting scary, isn't it? We do the same thing, though, don't we? You ever get off the uh, highway exit ramp and there's a guy standing there with a sign? Anything helps? God bless? Well, come on, what's your first thought? Well, they must have done something really bad to end up there on the exit ramp holding up a sign. Am I the only one in here like that? Come on. Come on, don't look at me like I'm the only one that has that thought. Wow, too many drugs, dude. You know? Maybe you shouldn't have been gambling so much. I mean, that's the thoughts going through our head. You know, what? we might as well say when we get off the exit ramp, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he's standing there on this exit ramp? Look, man, we're no better than they were. But Jesus has an interesting response. He said, neither. Now, Jesus isn't saying that this man didn't sin. He's not saying that his parents sinned, or that his parents never sinned. He's saying sin did not cause him to be born blind. He was born blind for a purpose. He was born blind for a purpose. And we're going to find that purpose out here shortly. Now, understand me. I'm not encouraging everybody to hop out of their car every time they see a man with a sign. That'd be pretty dangerous. I don't usually make a habit of, of stopping when my family's in the car. Why? I'm an ER doctor. Man, I've seen a lot of bad people. I know the world is a bad place. Be careful. Even more so, as Brother Marion was saying today, we lock our doors now. 
We can't, the world's becoming a horrible place. Be careful. Now, men, yeah, go ahead. Women, if you do, roll your window down about that much, slip them five bucks in a tract, say, I'll pray for you, brother, and hit the gas. That's my advice to you. It's sad, but that's true. Verse number three. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's all that mean. Work the works while it's day. Would it never got night back in 4 A.D.? You know, Jesus is speaking in riddles a lot, right? He's trying to make you think. Well, let me just explain that for you. If you look at the church age as the day, we are in the day. We are in the church age where we can still work. You know, the time is coming, and Brother Marion hit on it today. I hope it's right now. I hope that, I hope that Jesus comes back right this second. You imagine my bragging rights in heaven for the next six billion years? Hey, he took me out while I was preaching. <laughs> I got nothing to worry about there. Talk about good timing. Well, he's going to come and he's going to take every Christian, poof, like that. We're gone, up into heaven. Can you imagine how bad this place is going to get without Christians? Think about it. We're the only thing holding them back. We are the only ones holding back this huge wave of sin. You get rid of the dam, and the water is just going to go everywhere. Can you imagine how that's going to be? Nobody's going to be able to work for the Lord the day of the rapture because there's not going to be anybody here that knows him. Wow. Let that sink in. We got a lot of work to do. We got a lot of work to do. That's what Jesus is saying. Work while it is day. I have spent many years as an ER doctor working the night shift. Let me tell you, Sam, nothing good happens after midnight. Nothing good. Now, occasionally, you'll have a sweet little lady who likes to sit up late at night and has a heart attack at midnight, but for the most part, do you know what rolls through the ER at 1 in the morning? Yeah, you know what happens. I won't bore you with the details. But you know what happens at night. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Is Jesus still in the world today? Are you here? Well, you better believe he's still here. We are the light of the world. Not because there's anything good in us. There's nothing good in us. We are reflecting his light. You know, the moon doesn't have any, any source of light. Do you know that? The moon doesn't shine. The moon reflects, just like you and I. We don't have any, you know, I always like that little kid song, this little light of mine, right? <laughs> Come on. 
I know kids are cute, but they're no better than us. All they're doing is reflecting. That song should say, this little mirror of mine. But that's not quite as catchy of a tune, is it? As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Verse 6. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. You know, when I read this the first time, or maybe the second or third time, I don't know, I got a little annoyed. I'm like, you're God. Just, like, snap your fingers and give him his sight. What's with all these extra steps? Why don't you just wave your hand and give him his sight back? Make him, you know, spitting on his eyes, <laughs> wiping dirt on his face, and then tell him to go halfway across town and find some pool and wash it all out. I, I got to tell you, I didn't understand it. And I thought, I don't get this. And you know, it's okay not to get stuff in the Bible. It's really okay. You know what? If you understood everything in this book, did you know the author wouldn't be much smarter than you? <laughs> Think about that for a second. If you understood everything in this book, the person who wrote it isn't much smarter than you. Well, I don't understand hardly any of it. <laughs> Amen? God wrote this book, and it's okay not to understand it. But we're going to see why he gave him all of these steps to go through. When I was preaching through this book of John... As a pastor out in Nome, Alaska, it got, it got pretty funny because I, you know, I was working 50, 60, 70 some hours a week and still preaching three messages. Now, that was a rough time in my life. It was okay cause in the winter because it's always dark. You always feel like, well, it doesn't matter what day it is, it's always going to be dark out. And then in the summertime, it's never going to get dark, just keep working. But when I was preaching through this, you know, as I started to say, I would stand up on Sunday morning and I'd say, all right, church, turn your Bibles to the book of... And the whole church would say, John! Because we got so tired of me going through the book of John. I didn't have time to wait for the, the Lord to give me a message on Thursday night. I just had to have that message prepared, sometimes weeks in advance. Because I never knew what was going to happen. And I'll tell you, sometimes when I would... When I would work and, and prepare a message, and I would work on it and work on it and work on it, it would flop. <laughs> I'd walk away and be like, well, that didn't go anywhere. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, I had someone preaching for me tonight, and they backed out, and i got to fill in tonight. I didn't even look at the Bible that day. I got up and I preached, and it went over like, I can't figure this out. <laughs> but you know what? I can, because God uses your weakness. Amen? Amen? God will use your weakness. And God gives you some things to do. But you know, this clay on the eyes, you know, the doctor in me starts thinking, I wonder if he was iron deficient. <laughs> Put a little iron on there and all of a sudden he gets his vision back. Maybe, maybe he was copper deficient. Maybe he had uh, Wernicke's or, you know, all these other diseases we learn about. And I thought, that's not it. <laughs> God would have known that. But he sends him to the pool of Siloam, 
which is by interpretation sent. I don't know about you, but I like Siloam better. Sounds a little better than sent. <laughs> hey, where do you want to go? Let's go to the pool of sent. No. Sounds, it sounds nicer to say I went to the pool of Siloam, but it's, in, it's, it's translated as sent. And, and the reason for that was in the Old Testament, before the Jews would present their sacrifices, they had to go there first. The high priest would send them to the pool of Siloam to wash in before they came back to present their sacrifice, their offerings. That's where that comes from. I think it was Hezekiah. I started to look that up and got sidetracked. But anyway, verse 8. We've got 41 verses to go. I better step on it. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him, that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, well, he's like him. But he said, I am he. Look, I, believe me. I used to be blind. Now I can see. Verse 10 says, therefore said they unto him, how are thine eyes opened? You know, there's no congratulations. Like, hey, you can see. How cool is that? They didn't say that. They're like, hey, how, how did that happen? What did that guy do to you? Who was it? What are his credentials? Does he have a medical license? Did he graduate from a recognized ACOG school? That's what the Pharisees were asking him. They're like, well, he just received his sight. You know, if that had been me, I'd have been like, hey, what do you think about the sky? Pretty blue, isn't it? Do I look like you thought I looked? Have you seen your mom yet? She'll be excited. None of that. They started judging him right off the bat. Man, poor guy. You know, this just goes to show you that the people in that day truly believed that if you were born blind, it was because of sin. Well, verse 11 says, He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received my sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. I was blind when he did it. Remember? Did you listen to my story? I don't know where he's at. So they do the next logical thing. They bring him to the police. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees him that was aforetime blind. They bring him to the authorities. For what? Because <laughs> he can see? Oh, man, the Pharisees were a nasty bunch, weren't they? They essentially bring this guy to the Pharisees because he was guilty of wiping dirt off of his eyes. Verse 14. Here we go. And it was the Sabbath day. Of course it was. Right? Don't you just sometimes be like, God, couldn't you heal people on Tuesday? Every time God does something great, it's on the Sabbath day. You know someone's going to be irritated. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. You know, the more you read the Bible, hopefully, the closer you get to the Lord. And the more you understand the mind of Christ. 
and you know the the sarcastic kind of guy that I am, I, I, I like to think that that Sabbath morning, Jesus woke up and he was making scrambled eggs and drinking some tea around the fire, and he said to Peter, he said, hey, it's the Sabbath day. Let's go heal somebody. <laughs> and Peter's like, oh, come on, Lord. It's Saturday. I know. <laughs> Watch this. I bet he did. <laughs> I bet he did. I think Jesus liked to stir the pot. In fact, I know he did. That's what he was here for. He was here to stir the pot, wasn't he? Boy, he did a good job of it, too. You know, if you stand up for the Lord, you're stirring the pot, too. There's a lot of religions I don't understand. Seventh-day Adventists. I don't understand it. Got a lot of good friends who are Seventh-day Adventists. I love them. But you know what? (laughs) Who in the New Testament made the biggest deal out of the Sabbath? The Pharisees. How'd you like to have that on your religion? Right? The Pharisees. Verse 15. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. Can you just see this guy explaining it for like the 20th time now? Look, I told you, like a hundred times already. He put clay on my eyes, I went and washed, now I see. Verse 16, Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God. Because he keepeth not the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. Can you just hear this argument? This guy from you know, Nazareth healed a blind man. But he did it on the Sabbath. Wait a minute. Did you just say he healed a blind man? Yeah, but he did it on the Sabbath. Let's go on. I could sit there all day and make fun of the Pharisees. Verse 17, They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him, that he hath opened thine eyes? And the man responds, He's a prophet. Do you see something happening here? This blind man went from, I don't know, some guy put dirt on my face, I wiped it off, and here I am. That was the first or second time he had to tell the story. The second time he said, Hey, this prophet... Put clay on my eyes. Ah, you see something kind of starting to transform in this blind man? Verse 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him. Of course they didn't. That he had been blind and received his sight. until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked him, saying, is this your son who ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered him and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. 
Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. You know, now I look at this like I look at everything else from the, a marine standpoint. <laughs> a bunch of guys show up at my front porch and say, how'd your daughter get her sight back? Man, I'd be so excited that my daughter got her sight back. I'd tell them what for. You remember that movie, uh, Home Alone, where he goes over and he puts that old movie on? I'm giving you 10 seconds to get your filthy, no good, keister off my porch before I pump you full of lead. You remember that part of the movie? Get off my porch, you filthy animal. That's probably what I would have said to those guys. His own parents threw him under the bus because they were afraid of the Jews. What kind of fear would you have to live in to throw your own son under the bus? Can you imagine it? I think we're getting there pretty close. We're just a stone's throw away from having to live like that again. Verse 24, Then again called they the man that was blind, and said unto him, Give God the praise, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Was blind, but now I see. That'd make a good song, wouldn't it? I'm going to work on that. Yeah, that's where that song came from. Was blind, but now I see. Verse 26. Then said they to him again, What did he do to thee? How open he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Now, oh, he went from, I don't know, some Jewish guy slapped mud on my face, to a prophet slapped mud on my face, to I'm his disciple. Do you see that? Went from blind to a, pro, to, a, to a disciple. Then they reviled him. Of course they did, right? And said, thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. Woo-hoo. Yeah, well, he's been dead for 2,000 years, guys. Moses is gone. And you know who Moses wrote about? Yeah, the guy who just put mud on my face. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. Ah, oh, the Pharisees. The man answered and said unto them, Why herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is? And yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God, and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Let me give you the, the, the Greek translation here. Ready? Write this down. Well, 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 looky here. <laughs> that's, that's the Greek. That's what that blind man's saying. He goes, wow, look here. I got a bunch of Pharisees. And they're coming to this guy for advice. 
They want to know something about God. They came to me, all these Pharisees, all you know-it-alls. Here you are asking me about God. Isn't that something? Isn't that, isn't that sweet? And what does the blind man say? He said, but if any man be a worshiper of God, went from some Jew, put clay on my face, to he's a prophet. Hey, do you want to be his disciple? Now he's a worshiper of God. Blind man's starting to get it. Now this is how you make the Bible come alive. You know, I like that, that show, The Chosen. Is it completely accurate? I don't know. It's entertaining. And it's eye-opening. But you know what it does? It puts you in the Bible itself. It gives you a front row seat. This book was meant to be read, right? But it's also meant to be lived. I was an English major in college. And I like to study Shakespeare. Nobody sits around in front of the fireplace reading Shakespeare. It wasn't meant to be read. It was meant to be acted out. Right? To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arm against the sea of troubles. Sounds a little better than just reading it, doesn't it? I should have been an actor. I guess if this doctrine thing doesn't work out, I might try it. So they said to the blind man, they answered in verse 34, They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And he cast him out. We all saw that coming, right? Verse 35, one of the most precious verses in Scripture. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? We'll read that again. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him. You ever been cast out? You ever been ridiculed? You ever been laughed at for your faith? You ever took a stand for Christ and people mocked you? Who's the first person that found you out? Jesus. You know, Jesus heard that they were mocking him, and he went to find him. Isn't that a blessing? Hmm. You see, he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? This man really didn't know. But I think he was getting the idea. And Jesus answered, or Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. Let me translate that for you. I'm God. That's what Jesus said. And you're talking to him. Can you imagine? Waking up that day, facing another day, can't see anything, no light, no shadows, nothing, just being led around by the hand, having, having to have people put everything in front of you to eat and everything, and you go to bed that night having seen God. What a day that'll be. We're all going to have a day like that soon. Amen? And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. This is where that blind man gets saved. He didn't get saved at the pool of Siloam, or sent. 
He didn't get saved when the Pharisees were interrogating him. He got saved right there. Verse 39 says, And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might, not be, made bl- might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have had no sin. But now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. Wow, he loved to just mess with them Pharisees. Now before we delve into the message and the meaning here of the message, let me, let me point out a few things that you may not have grasped yet. This chapter was 41 verses long. It's a long chapter. It's kind of hard to do an expository message on a chapter with 41 verses, but we did it. Did you know that God only devoted 31 verses to letting you know how he created the entire universe and mankind? 31 verses. He devotes 41 to a sinner. We don't even know his name. 41 verses. Why would he do that? Have you figured it out yet? Verse 9 is the gospel plan of salvation. It only makes sense that you would devote 31 to creating the world if you were God and 41 to making sure that all of his children knew how to get home. Amen? 41 verses to the plan of salvation. Now, we, now we, we looked at it in depth. Let's zoom out. Let's go up to 30,000 feet and look down on it. Here we have a blind man. Is there any better picture of a lost man than a blind man? Not just because you're blind doesn't mean you're lost. But a blind man is essentially lost. He can't find his own way. He doesn't know where he's going. But somebody told him about Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight. If you're a Christian, you remember that time when somebody told you about Jesus. I guarantee you, they gave you something to do after that. They either handed you a tract, and you had to go home and read it. They may have invited you to church, and you had to show up that night. Or they handed you a Bible and said, go home and read it. You know, I've been witnessing to people for 30 years. I've never seen anybody get saved just like that. Maybe you have. I haven't. But here we have the blind man who had to have his eyes opened to his own condition. Isn't that how salvation works? To get someone saved, you've got to get them lost first. You won't, you won't get anybody to, to trust in the Lord until they realize they need the Lord. That's the hardest thing to do is to get somebody lost. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He opened his eyes to his condition. He gave him a job to do. Go wash. And over time, maybe this was all a day, a couple days, I don't know. But it all started to work in this man's heart. Until he was ready. And he got saved right there in front of Jesus himself. What a testimony. Can you imagine meeting this guy? Yeah, I got saved staring at Jesus. Amen. I got saved staring at a concrete floor. (laughs) 
in Okinawa, Japan in 1993 at about 2 in the morning on November 13th. Last squad bay on the left, right across from Burger King. Fourth little cubicle on the left as you come in the door. Yeah, I remember where I was at. Chapter 9 is the picture of how a sinner goes from his lost and hell-bound state to the heights of glory. That's what John chapter 9 is about. It is the plan of salvation. Have you been saved? I hope so. I, I promised you I'd tell you why this verse means so much to me in the beginning, why I keep coming back to it, why I read it over and over and over again. You know what that clay represents? You know, if you read the commentators, they'll give you all kinds of crazy stuff. I'm just a little simpler. What does dirt represent? Sin. This man had no sin that he knew of. He couldn't see anything. God had to put that sin right in front of his face for him to deal with. He did. He put that dirt right on his eyes. Deal with it. And you know, that's the hardest thing for people to come to know the Lord. It's the hardest thing because they've got to look themselves in the face and see the sin in their life. And they've got to decide to do something about it. Well, I mentioned that squad bay in Okinawa, Japan. I had to do the same thing. You know, when my friend witnessed to me and told me about Jesus, I had a decision to make. Either I keep on going as that degenerate Marine, or I get down on my face and ask the Lord into my heart. That didn't happen right away. It was a month-long process. But thank God I did. Thank God I did. You had to wipe the sin. You had to wipe the world away from your eyes to see your need for a Savior. Maybe it's time you opened your eyes. Saw Jesus standing right there in front of you. Now, I know the Sunday night is typically Christians, saved people. But you still got dirt on your face. How's that for a preacher? Telling you got dirt on your face. That's why I like preaching. You ain't going to worry about hurting someone's feelings. As a doctor, yeah, no one will come back to you. And you walk into a, an ER bay and say, yeah, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. Get out of here. <laughs> I'll be in court. But in church, I can do just that. You're a dirty, rotten sinner. You got mud all over your face. You can wipe it off and get it right. You're going to go through life with clay on your face. You got a decision to make. Every head bowed, every eye closed tonight. I want to challenge you tonight. If you're a Christian, if you know the Lord is your personal Savior, I want you to do something for me tonight. Everybody has one, one or two family members that you are burdened for. That you know, if they died tonight, they wouldn't be with you in heaven. Everybody has those family members, those friends, those co-workers. If you're a believer tonight, I want you to commit to praying for that person this week.
I want you to commit to tell them about Jesus this week. That's the only way they're going to get saved. That's it. There is nobody else. The cavalry isn't coming. It is light out. We are in the church age. But the time is running out. The time's running out. If you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, man, don't walk out these doors without having that settled. Don't do it. Once your life is over, it's over. There is no second chance. There is no intermediary place where you can go work off your sins. The Bible's silent on that. You're either in heaven or hell when you take your last breath. Don't let the opportunity go tonight. If you need to have Jesus in your heart, please come up to one of us during this time of invitation. If you don't want to come forward tonight, find me in the hall. Find me in the back of the church. Call me. Send up a smoke signal. I don't care how you do it. But get saved. mentioned a moment ago when I was talking about my happy day that's the day my blindness ended I had said I, I remember thinking I was a good boy and uh, that night I realized I wasn't a good boy the preacher said something like thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain and I remember sitting in that, in that church auditorium and I thought I don't do that. And I was glad that I didn't take the Lord's name in vain. And it's if the Holy Spirit reminded me of my mom calling me into the living room one day out of the neighborhood and said, hey, some of the neighbor ladies' moms have told me you've been using some words that little boys shouldn't be using. And she was right. As that's the Spirit of God said, you're not a good boy, are you? Thou shalt not steal. Well, at least I don't do that. The Holy Spirit said, remember the time you were at Rink's department store in Columbus, Ohio, and you stuck your finger through that little cellophane package to get that thing you wanted? Remember the time you lied? And that you told your sister you hated her. And all these things just started flooding back. And every time, the Holy Spirit was saying, guilty. Guilty. You're not a good boy. I had broken all those commandments that so many of us are familiar with. But praise the Lord. That night the preacher shared the good news, the gospel. That even though I was guilty of breaking God's law, and I realized for the first time that night that I was in trouble. He went on to share what Jesus Christ did for me. How he came to this earth, lived a perfect, sinless life, willingly went to the cross to pay a debt that I could not pay. Took my sins upon him and made it possible for me to be forgiven. And so when he shared that good news and he opened the invitation, he said, who would like to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? 
that good little boy who knew he wasn't a good little boy came forward and said, I need to be saved. I need, I'm in trouble and I need the Lord to help me. And you know what he did that night? He saved my soul. He forgave me of my sin because I asked him to. I said, Lord, I can't live a good life. I can't be good enough. Even though I had myself convinced I was, my eyes were open. That blindness that I had disappeared. And that night, I was gloriously born again. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. That's the message you need to share with your loved one this week, your friend, your neighbor. If you're here tonight and you've never been born again, that's the message that you need to hear. Would you call out to the Lord? Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Save my soul. Make me a new person. I'm not who I once was, as the young lady sang, because of the blood of Jesus Christ that has washed away my sin. Father, we love you. We're thankful for your, your servant tonight delivering your word, your message. May it do its work in our hearts as we have this time of invitation, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please? This, the altar